I don't care. He goes, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I love it because Bethany and Daryl, you know, it's, uh, you can have your assignment-based prayer meetings, but they have a depth of Christ in their relationship and, and sitting at His feet. And that's what provokes my heart, is to see a, a house of prayer that's established on Christ and, and intimacy. And if we don't have that, then then we're um, moving back. And, and like we said last night, how many were here last night? Or is this a whole new group? So pretty much a new group, a, few, a handful. But last night we talked about uh, you can build on the third or fourth or fifth level with assignments and uh, get the revelation from the Lord, get the dreams, and, and it's holy unto the Lord. But we can build that uh, assignment, and it can be a glorious season of 40 days or six months or whatever it is. But oftentimes what happens is after that six months, if there wasn't a foundation of Christ himself that we were building upon, we end up losing the young people, the next generation, because the assignment is awesome. And who doesn't like let, love to get dreams and encounters with the Lord? But if it's not established, uh, if you're, if the foundation of our life is not on Christ, Him crucified, and, and the righteousness as a, as a free gift to us, we will not uh, have a generation that walks with the Lord long term. And uh, that's what I love about this house will be here because it's uh, established on Christ Himself. So it'll, it'll never uh, not, not exist for that reason alone because we have Bethany and Daryl that are saying yes to Him. Well, I'm going to share from my heart tonight a few different things. That um, I'm, uh, I've got a three and a half year old granddaughter and a one year old grandson, and it's really fun because when my I'll be sitting in my house, and maybe from here to the back wall, I'll be in in one room, and uh, Dessa, who's my three and a half year old granddaughter, will run in the house, and I'll be sitting over here, and she'll just come in the house, and she'll fling her arms wide open, and she'll go, "I'm here." And um, it's just, it just melts my heart. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm learning more from my granddaughter and grandson than I, than I did with my own children. And I think the reason is because I didn't have the foundation uh, when I was 25 years old and a, and a father that I have at 52. And now I can look back and say, wow, she's coming in, into the room. And guess what? She knows I adore her. I love her. I'm like, uh, you know, and so when she comes in and says, I'm here, Papa, I'm here, she's like the center of attention, and she knows who she is. She's a princess in the house. And I, I started realizing how free she is in our house like that and how unfree we are coming before the Lord. And I'm here, you know, I'm, and he's just like enthralled with us. He's given us his very righteousness. That's what justification is. He's made us the very righteousness of God in Christ. So there's no more shame, there's no more condemnation, there's no more guilt, there's no more wrath once you're in Christ. There's no more wrath. And if we don't know those things, um, we won't have the... See, the whole thing with the new covenant is the assurance to approach Him boldly. That's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The new covenant is we can come straight into the Father's presence no matter what our condition is like. See, we have, a, we have a condition out here of what we're really like, you know, the, the junk in our lives. And we have a position of who we are in Christ. What happens is if we look at our condition, it gets bigger. It grows. If we, if we start to try to change our condition. But when we look at our position, who we are in Christ, the condition aligns with the position. That makes sense. God's, God's calling us to be God conscious, not sin conscious. 
We have a generation that have been taught, deal with your deal, deal with your sin, deal with your sin. Actually, it's look at to Christ, be with Christ, sit at His feet, get to know the indwelling Christ. Because as we get to know Him and who we are in Christ, the condition aligns with our position. Uh, Jesus in uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter four it says Jesus was tempted in all ways like we are. That one that verse always puzzled me because I'm thinking he didn't deal with pornography, he didn't deal with robbing banks, stealing, lying, whatever people deal with. He really didn't. He wasn't tempted in those arenas. What was he tempted with? We go back to Luke four, Matthew four. It says the the devil led Jesus into the wilderness to, to tempt him. Uh, the spirit led. I'm sorry. The spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, and the, and there the the devil tempted him. The devil comes up to Jesus, and what, what does he say? He says, "If you're the Son of God, cast yourself down and let the angels catch you. If you're the Son of God, make these stones bread. If you're the Son of God, what was he doing? He was questioning his identity. That was the temptation that came against Christ. And if he would have responded in power." That, that's what the enemy says. Do this. Prove prove yourself. He didn't have to prove himself. See, he knew who he was. Just a couple hours earlier, the Father's voice from heaven comes, This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is resting. You know what John 5 says? Jesus says, I don't do anything unless the Father initiates it. I don't have to respond to you. What's, what is it you want to say, Father, to, in this situation? But see, that that... The way that Jesus was tempted is the same way that the enemy comes to us. If he can get us off, if he can uh, move us away from our identity, then he gets us into pornography. Then he gets us into lying, stealing, cheating, low self-esteem, competition, jealousy, envyings. All of those things happen when we don't know our identity. It, it even it started way back in the garden with Adam, when uh, the enemy came to Adam. And we don't know how long the, the serpent was testing Adam and Eve, do we? It could have been two days, two months, two years. We don't know. But eventually he got at, at Adam and Eve and he said, basically the temptation was this. You can be more like God if you eat of this tree. What did, what did God just say earlier? I've made man in my image. Now it's a question of identity again. You can have something God did, wasn't good enough to give you if you simply eat. And Jesus is looking at us saying, do we know our identity? If we know our identity, the sin issues don't conquer us. Because once I know who I am, then I live according to who I am. I don't sin because Christ is in me and my life is, is uh, given to Him. I'm pleasing to Him. My, I'm, I'm one with Him. If I don't know that, then I'm fighting thinking, well, I might as well sin today because I, I'm already broken my fellowship because I've sinned yesterday. fact of the matter is, everybody in this room has dealt with some kind of sin, likely, in the last 24 hours. Because Romans 14 says, anything out of faith is sin. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, how many of us have not had a critical, judgmental thought or something that, that slipped in our life? Or, you know, even our thought life. Yeah. You know, um, there was a, well, I, sometimes I don't know exactly what to share. Can I share about Enoch or should I pass on that? Okay. There's a, you know, you guys know Enoch in the Old Testament. Well, he's appeared to a, a friend of mine several times. And um, he said to him, he said, when you cease to hurt people with your words and your thoughts, you'll enter into the river of love. And I thought, that's really powerful. It's one thing to shut my, shut my mouth and look spiritual. It's another thing to 
to have thoughts that are only pleasing to the Lord. You know what I mean? Because we're releasing what we're thinking in this room. So no man lives unto himself. No man dies unto himself. We, we, we carry the presence of the Lord in, in uh, ways that are unseen, but they're, they're ex- tangible in the realm of where we live. It's like you, you can go into a room and you can feel something. You don't know what it is, but somebody's releasing something. Or you can, sometimes you're walking at night and you'll think, something's not right behind me. You have a sense. You're feeling murder or something. And you turn and you're like, hey, there's something wrong here. There's, I'm in a situation. Because everyone is releasing vibrations or releasing uh, all kinds of different things in the spirit realm. That's what happens in the spirit realm. Just because we don't see it, it's still, it's still happening. So that's why it's important when we come together in unity, in faith. When we have a prayer meeting, two or three are joined together. They're releasing the same incense to the Lord, the same vibrations. We had a group in Moravian Falls and we told them, uh, just a group of 20 for three years. And we said, don't come to the meetings if you have anything against one another. Just deal with it outside of the outside of the atmosphere. What we want to do is we want to have a, I don't know if testing is the right place, or is the right word, but we want to have an atmosphere where we want to see what changes when we make decision, covenantal decisions with one another. Say, so you know what, just don't bring anything in here if there's judgmental or criticism, if you're having a hard time. Let's deal with it before the meetings and let's see how the Lord changes the meetings. Those are some of the most glorious meetings for my wife and I in this group. We had uh, heavenly visitors that would come and visit us. Joan of Arc came to one of the meetings. Uh, anyways, isn't it interesting? You guys know Joan? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But we talked about yesterday that, you know, Christianity is kind of a mysterious thing, isn't it? Because the, the veil is so thin between the presence of the, the angelic realm, the, pl- the presence of the cloud of witnesses, but they're participating with us, whether we see them or feel them or not. This is part of what you guys said yes to when you became Christians, a life that is, that is it's a spiritual life. That's who we are foremost. And so we have a, a, an access, a legal access into the spiritual realm, but it comes by believing. And uh, see, the boundary, li- the boundary lines of our lives are governed by what we believe. And that's why it's good to be with people that, be- that believe for the impossible. Um, you know, in Romans 12, it talks about uh, the Father's giving grace gifts to us. And uh, you can have three men or three women with the same gifting, but depending on the the faith of those three, their their, um, their labors will be different. Their outcome will be different. Their uh, I'm looking for a better word than that, but the fruit of their lives will will be much different depending on which one is moving in faith. And uh, this God is so we we ask ourselves, you know, how do we move into move into um, into faith, and I want to just touch on that tonight because I think it's uh, will be helpful to us. Um, trying to think where to start. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus said several things about faith. Sometimes he says, "Great is your faith." Sometimes he he marvelled at two people's faith. Now that's we got to stop when Jesus marvels at two people's faith. We got to stop and take an account. What is going on with Jesus to marvel at these two? What what were they expressing in their life? So we want to look at those two people. And then he was perplexed at other times, it says. He was perplexed by their unbelief. You've been with me for three years, and you don't believe? And uh, 
So it's uh, in the see when we come into the understanding of the new covenant, the covenant of grace, who we are as as righteous ones before the Lord, we we boldly enter the throne of grace because he, that's He's made us uh, one with Himself on the cross. Everything that Christ was on the cross, everything that we were was given to Him on the cross. He became sin. He became what we were. And what did He give us? Everything that He was was returned to us. We became righteous. It was the great exchange. The cross is the most amazing, life-changing. We need to study the cross. There's three components of the gospel. We must understand who Christ is. And that's obviously, you know, a friend, a prophetic friend of mine had a vision. I don't remember it exactly, a dream. And he was on a beach. And um, he picked up a, a handful of sand, and the Lord said to him, I want you to take out a couple grains of sand. He took out a couple grains of sand, and the Lord said something like, um, that's how much uh, revelation the body of Christ has about my nature. And then he said, wow. now look what's in your hand. That's what's available. And then he said, now look at the, the beach. And he said, that's what's going to be unfolding forever in eternity. So I thought, that's powerful. That really puts God into perspective how awesome and great he is. But he's given us things to understand in this hand. And we've been content with three things, over three grains of sand over here. And there's this huge pile in our hand. We say, God, what is the cross? And I, I told uh, Bethany and Daryl, the group last night, that the thing that God has really um, encouraged me to do this year is to, to focus on what is reconciliation, what is uh, redemption, what is propitiation, and what is justification. Those those four particularly, because those four, if we understand those four things, we'll understand who we are. And if we understand who we are, then we boldly come into the Father's presence like my granddaughter runs in. I'm here, and I can come into the Father's presence. Whether there's sin in my life or not, I'm here, and He's, he's enthralled with me. Not because of my performance, because of Christ's performance on the cross. So let's look at... Um, Let's look at Matthew 8. There's, there's, there's two people in the New Testament that Jesus marveled at their faith. It's very interesting to me that these two people were Gentiles. Why is that interesting? Because I, I, it's interesting to me because I think that there was so much uh, legalism with the Jewish community. It was all about performance. And why was it? Like Paul said even in... Uh, Philippians, when he was dealing with, you know, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees, I'm, you know, circumcised on the eighth day, I'm this person. He was talking about really summing his life up into two things, and it was pedigree and performance. Because he was going back to the Abraham covenant of pedigree. If you're, if you're Abraham's children or his children, the blessing is on you. And then he's going back to the Mosaic Law, which is performance, and he basically said, I, I had those two things to the fullest. You know, he was saying, if anyone has reason to boast, I do. But then he says, but that's, there's no reason at all because he's bringing us into Christ, into the position. Anyways, I don't know if you can follow that, but I don't know if I was clear enough. Matthew 8, uh, in verse 5 it says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. 
For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and to another, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does that. In verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found so such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say unto you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out in utter darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Basically what he's saying is, in other words, he's saying, many of the Jews will not be saved. But here's one that actually believes, and he's a Gentile. That's what he's saying. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so be it done unto you. Here's the issue. Jesus marveled at this one's faith. And the centurion came to him. He didn't come to him on a three-day fast or a 40-day fast. He didn't come to him with memorized Bible scriptures, thinking, okay, maybe I fasted three days, and now maybe God's in a good mood, and maybe my servant will be healed. That was not... He came to him... And what he did was he saw Jesus as the only answer to it. He was the solution to his answer, the only answer. It was Jesus alone. He's the only one that could help him. He came with, with his eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what, um, that's what grace is. Grace is a person. It's seeing Christ. It's seeing his goodness. It's seeing everything he accomplished on the cross, and it's keeping our eyes fixed on him. When, Jesus, when we see grace, Jesus sees faith. Do you get that? When we see grace, who God is, the eyes of the Lord look back and on. I marveled at your faith because you saw me. You saw who I was. Uh, and that's, I hope you can hear that because well, Matthew 15, I think, maybe even clearer uh, scripture. Second person, he marveled at such great faith. And this was in Matthew 15, verse 21. It says, When Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. It's interesting to me, this whole passage. This I love this passage. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, "Is it? It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. You know, for most of us, if that would have been us coming to Jesus, probably two things would have happened. Probably... Half the group would have cried, <laughs> like, and then half the group would have been ready to punch him in the nose, right? You've been offended, like, who does he think he is calling me a dog? And uh, it's interesting. It, it, Jesus says, he, first of all, he ignores her, completely ignores this woman. Then he tells her to go away, and then he calls her a dog, which in any culture is not a good thing. <laughs> so, isn't that interesting? What, what's Jesus doing here? Do you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus sees this woman coming afar, afar off, and what he sees is faith. He sees, here's a woman of real faith. He's not, he's not trying to disqualify her. He's not trying to... He, there, there's absolutely no risk in, this, in what he's saying to this woman for her to cry or to go away. You know why? Because he saw faith. Now he's coming and showing his disciples, hey guys, look at this. This is what real faith is. 
it's not easily deterred. It, it holds fast to its what its eyes are set on. He wasn't testing her. He was using her as an example of what great faith is. He's saying, guys, look. I'm going to call her a dog. I'm going to ignore her and tell her to go away. And guess what? She pushes in and she lays hold, lays, lays hold of him for what she's looking for. And that's what faith is. It's, laying, it's seeing God in his, all of His goodness, all of His grace, all of His kindness, who He is, and it's saying, I won't be deterred. If the things don't go my way, I'm going to keep my eyes focused on you. And it's not going to be just for a few months or for a few years, but for my life. It's like, God, I know you're good. I know who you are. I've seen enough of you to throw my life fully into you. And so, so whenever we look at God... And as as we see God, now the key for this is that it comes by revelation. Faith comes by revelation. It's not something you you conclude in your head by taking this verse times this verse divided by this verse, and then you say, okay, this is what it is. It doesn't work like that. Faith is something that uh, lights up in the heart of man. It's something that he comes with his light and his presence. It, it, it comes and it bursts forth. And sometimes at surprising times, like Peter on the boat, we got other fishermen that are professional fishermen that are throwing up. Peter's like, also in the burst of faith, he steps out of the boat. For a second, he had his eyes fixed on Christ. He had revelation. If it's you, bid me to come. Come, Peter. And so he, he started moving. And then, then what happened, as you know, he, he took his eyes off Jesus and onto the circumstances. And that's when he started going under. But see, faith is faith will come to us by revelation, and and sometimes it's just it's it's when you say, "I know that I know." It's not memorizing all the healing verses and then saying, "I'm ready for healing now because I know up here intellectually." It's when you're meditating on the healing verses, you're looking at Jesus, and all of a sudden, there's just a knowing He's my healer, and that's when the healing comes. Oftentimes. It's when we get breakthrough in every arena. It's knowing He's our provider and we're sitting with Him. And all of a sudden that, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, and someone comes up to you and says, you must be a mess right now. You, you know, this happened, this happened. He said, no, really, I'm really at peace. God is good. Because there's faith in my heart. I know who He is. This, this season may uh, last for a little while, but he, He'll come through. And uh, so as we look at grace... Grace is a person, his name is Jesus. As we look at his goodness and all of his kindness, as we understand the cross, all of the implications of the cross, as we look at Christ, who is Christ? I mean, how can we know, we can know this much? And that's a lot. If we're only looking at three and we think that's awesome, just think if we're looking at five more grains of sand, we, we just keep on going in this life from glory to glory. And uh, and we know, we have to know in Hebrews 5, it talks about, they were babes in Christ because they didn't understand the word of righteousness. They were mixing up righteousness. And like we said yesterday, there's only two kinds of righteousness. There's a free gift of righteousness which comes from Him. And then there's self-righteousness which is based on your performance, which only is good to show off to people in this life that are ignorant people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In that sense, because it, it may impress you. My prayer and fasting may impress you. But if it was done in my strength, that's all I'm getting is, is earthly rewards of being impressed. And what, what obviously, everything that's in faith, in, in, in uh, Romans chapter 1, it says the obedience of faith. There's an obedience of faith 
that is outside of anxiety, outside of fear, outside of unbelief. It's, it's out of obedience, of believing. That's always rewarded with eternal gold, silver, and precious stones. Everything in our life that was done in the obedience of faith. There's eternal rewards that were, and none of, there's no eternal rewards for moving it from fear. No, nothing from anxiety, nothing from unbelief. Because we're keeping our eyes based, focused on this man who's done it all. And he's looking at us saying, Chris, I've paid the price. I've, you, what are you performing for? I, it was my performance. Just put all of your trust in me. So we start fasting differently. We start praying differently. I sat with my friend Noel Alexander. If you don't know Noel, you probably don't. He's a, he's a, um, in the Kansas City, and he was one of the leaders in the 80s with, um, and you may not know these names. Do you know Paul Kane's name, Bob Jones? Okay, so you guys know some of the. He was one of the leaders in this movement coming out of Kansas City, and he was a, just a pure intercessor. Bob Jones actually saw him coming. Before, he, before anyone knew about Noel, Bob Jones came to some of the staff and he said, Noel is coming, Noel is coming. And then he said he's a five-star general and, and he saw this field of flowers and all this stuff um, uh, representing the, the... Okay, this would be representing uh, not just evangelism, the flowers were representing souls, but it would be won through intercession by Noel's life. He's an intercessor. So he was called an evangelist by the prophet because of the soul saved, but he was a evangelist in intercession. Very interesting. Yeah, he's an awesome man. Um, just a wonderful. He looks like a prophet. He's got this hair, white hair that goes back, and these eyes. And his, it's real intense. And I, I asked him because we had known each other since '89, and a couple of years ago we had uh, come back, or a year ago. And I said, "No, can we meet for lunch?" And we met. And um, I said. No, because I knew he had come into understanding of the gospel of grace in a way that he didn't know when I knew him earlier. So I said, no, tell me what's happened with this gospel of grace, the understanding of the cross. He said, Chris, I pray longer, I pray harder, and I have more fun. That was his response. That was that way I knew this guy's real, this is the real deal, the gospel of grace, because he's starting to look like uh, Christ, you know, or Paul, someone else who looks like Christ. I, I think of... The Apostle Paul, I think, is someone in the fullness of grace, in the fullness of the gospel of grace. He abstains from sin, he knows Christ, and he's uh, just obedient in every arena of his life. And he's having fun, I hope. <laughs> when he's not weeping. <laughs> okay, I was going to say something else about no, but okay. Any, any any thoughts? Any comments? <laughs> How many Koreans are in here? About five. I pastored a Korean church in Seattle, and um, they're very much like Swedes. <laughs> they don't show emotions, you know. At least that's what they told me. <laughs> Until they start praying, and then the, yeah. Yeah, the, then the roof comes down. I'm just wondering if there's any any place else to go tonight uh, with this message, Bethany.
Do you guys know who you are? Yeah. Yeah, faith faith is... um, if, if we're trying to have faith, we don't have faith. You know what I mean? It's not... Faith... When we look at faith, faith is very uh, self, uh, unself-conscious. You have faith when you're not focusing on faith. You're focusing on Him. When we're looking at faith and asking if we have faith, probably moving in unbelief. Because it's a single fo- it's a single-eyed focus. And... Uh, we don't. The harder we try, the the further we get from faith. It's not about our performance. It's about a. It's about revelation that hits our hearts, and it's just a yes and an amen. And it's awesome. And it's it, you, you, when you know it, you know it. And you all have exercised faith in different arenas, and and it's, it comes easy. It, that's when you're like, no, I know I'm supposed to do this because revelation has come, faith has come, and you just. You're moving in the peace of God. And uh, so God is taking us from... Uh, he's uh, reinstituting a, a Sabbath rest to His people. I think I'm going to talk on that on Wednesday night. I love that message. Because it's a restoration of something that was stolen from... At, when Adam fell, the Sabbath ceased. Came back with Noah, and we'll talk about more about that. But there's a, there's a rest that we come into that we labor from. After we come into it, we labor from it. And, uh, let me just share, I'll share one more verse, because this is fun. John 5. Yeah, John 5. It's a great story here. So in uh, in verse ten it says, well, "Maybe I better start earlier. I better start in like five. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for thirty-eight years. Jesus saw him lying there. He knew that he had been in that condition a long time. He said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered and said to him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the into the waters, into the pool, when the water is stirred. At the time, the angels were stirring the water, and the first one in would be healed, but this man couldn't get to the pool. And um, I'm, I'm, while I'm coming, another steps in before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was a Sabbath. Then the Jews therefore said to him, Who, who was cured? Uh, is it, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, take up, my bed, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know that it was who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, My father has been working until now, and now I have been working. 
it was unlawful to do any work on the Sabbath. It was unlawful to, to, to heal or do anything like that that was not in rest. What's Jesus' response? Jesus says, hey guys, I only do what the Father does. I'm, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And what he's saying is, I'm completely resting, but I'm healing. I'm completely at rest, but I'm doing what the Father's doing. See that? Isn't that powerful? He's saying, you got a problem with me, you better blame it on God the Father, because He's the one that initiated it. He goes on to say, he says, I only do the things the Father does. I just love that, because in rest, see, we look at people in rest, if they're working, we're saying they're not in rest. That's not, that's not true. We're, we're in rest in position. And then, he, and then we labor from the position of rest. We heal, we intercede, we deliver, we do whatever we do. But those things are not, um, they're not works in our strength. They're, they're labors of love coming from Christ within us, the Father's life within us. That's called the obedience of faith. And their understanding of the Sabbath was, was um, not God's understanding of the Sabbath. Because they could be at rest and He could work. And anyway, so we... Um, Let me do this. Let me let me pray for us over this, just this message tonight. And um, let's see. Father, we pray that you would uh, reveal to us your Son, God. Even as Paul said in Arabia, he, the one who had revealed himself. I mean. Reveal himself to him, Lord. I pray that there'd be a revelation of Christ that would just explode in this J-Hop, Lord, in Boston, Father. This house would be Christ's, filled with the love and the life and the light of Christ. God, that when we see grace, when we see the person of Christ, there'd be faith that you would return and look at us with eyes of faith. Great. I pray, that God, that you would marvel at the faith of J-Hop Boston, Lord. Because we would see the goodness of God. We would see MIT and Harvard and all the schools and all the, the perishing. We would call them through intercession, the obedience of faith, and we would see reconciliation, redemption, justification, propitiation come to a generation, God. Isn't it interesting? that we serve a, a covenant God who is in, in unity with three. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the only, it's the only, uh, only God that would understand covenant because every other Buddha or Muhammad, they're alone. They, they died alone. They lived alone. But we serve a God who understands that there's, there's covenantal fighting together and loving together. And anyways, the expression of life together. He understood it from eternity past, and he, and uh, you know he he came for the express purpose of bringing us into that fellowship with the Trinity. It's pretty an awesome thing that he would die for us so we could enter into relationship with him. God, we pray that we we grow into the depths of intimacy with you, Jesus, so we would know you, we'd know who we are, and we would know you, Lord.
I'll end with this. A friend of mine had a, a dream, and in the dream, he uh, he was shown this house, and uh, the house was filled with his people from his church, and all the windows were shut, all the curtains were shut. And the Lord came to him in the dream and said, "You've done a, you've done a, you've been, you've done a great job with your house." But then the Lord said, "But why aren't your windows open?" And he said, well, you know, Lord, the, the, this church is built on a, on a dump site, on a rubbish site, on a, a, you know, and I opened the windows that would be stain, you know, stench and there's nothing to look at. And the Lord said to him, now I want you to open your windows and open the curtains. And so in the dream, he opens the windows and opens the curtains and he, all he sees was faces of every nation in every window. And he said, you've loved the church well but you've not carried my heart. You've not seen the lost. You, you, you've done well with what you've done, but now I want you to see where you... He said, it's, it, he said, your perspective has to change. You have a perspective that it's in a hard, difficult place. It's in a dump, a rubbish site. But open your windows. I'll give you my perspective. I'll give you... Uh, and then he said, you know, uh, something to the, the... The revelation started coming to my friend, and he said, you know, the world... Uh, we know Jesus loved the world, but it's interesting. In Luke 15, different places, they actually like Jesus. The unsaved people like Jesus. You know, it says he was a wine bibber and he was a glutton. And he, he, he was a friend of sinners. But too often, sinners don't like us. And if they don't like us, it's because we haven't let the love and light and life of Christ flow through us. We've been pointing the finger. We stop pointing the finger and we start releasing his life. The world, the, the unsaved people will come to, to the house. They will come and they will want to know who we know. I'm not saying everybody will. Because they're, particularly the religious people won't. Uh, those are the hardest ones for Jesus to, to touch. Because they, they, to, they didn't want a free gift. They wanted to perform and to receive so I just pray Father that we would have a perspective of heaven and uh, and I know I know this place does Lord I just say more God we say you're the answer to this city and you've chosen to be the answer through your bride Lord your life through us your deliverance and healing through us Christ too is our very life Pray, God, grace, grace, Lord. Let us see you for all of your worth, God.